Good morning, everybody. Welcome to kickoff Sunday. Those of you that uh, came to the 9 o'clock service and discovered that it wasn't happening, uh, said, well, okay, we'll go to the Sunday school class. Welcome. I want to welcome any new folks. This is the Bridges class. Um, Paul Kasher and I uh, are teaching this. We're just interim teachers, although we've, I think we both found out we really love doing this. But if you have a strong calling from God that he's saying you're to be the Bridges teacher, Paul and I will glad, gladly step aside and say, here you are. Or if any of you ever have a burning desire to, to lead a Sunday or a couple of Sundays on something uh, that you're adept at or <coughs> the Bible or some subject, please come talk to Paul and me. We would glad you, gladly work you into the rotation. Um, so, uh, welcome, welcome. Um, today, even though most Sunday school classes are starting something new, uh, and that was our original plan, we were going to start a 12-week series on the Apostles' Creed today, but we're not doing that. We're going to start that next Sunday. Um, we are doing the second of two Sundays on what we're calling Ask the Pastors, a couple weeks ago, we asked you to write down on an index card anonymously one or two or three questions you've always wanted to ask a pastor, but you might have been hesitant to jump up in the middle of the service and say, hey, what you just said, I think. Um, and we appreciate when you don't do that, uh, although I've had that happen to me. And I said, Lord, uh, see if anybody can interpret what that guy just said. And <laughs> But, uh, or, you know, that you just don't feel comfortable asking, even uh, in a private setting, making an appointment with a... This is anonymous, and we do not hire handwriting experts. We've been tempted on some of these. We they volunteered, out. actually. <laughs> and it's really fun. Uh, we, I love doing... I, I've done this at every church I've been at. And when I was a youth minister, I used to bring all the pastors in and with the senior highs and junior highs and... Kids came up with, you know, kids say the darndest things. And it was always fun. And I like it because I don't have to prepare. And uh, it usually is a really good back and forth. And last week, many of you during our answers would raise your hand and, and you guys really got into uh, participating in this. We didn't make it through, but a small percentage of your questions. And we don't want you leaving feeling like, oh, golly, they never got to my question. That's probably because they didn't want to. No, we're going to get to everybody's questions, and Paul and I have talked about how do we do that. Well, today, we're not going to spend more than about two minutes per question. And if we have ones left over, then starting next week, I will begin every session of our Apostles' Creed thing by dealing with one question, and then we'll get into whatever we're going to talk about in the Apostles' So eventually... We will get through everyone's questions. So um, anybody have any questions this morning? Or let me say this. If you're here and you're new, gosh, I wish I'd had a chance. We've got some extra blank index cards up here. If you'll raise your hand, I'll walk around and hand them out. And while we're talking, you can pen a question. Or you can bring one back with you next week or any time. And we'll eventually deal with it. Anybody need an index card? Anybody would like one? Okay, Rich. And just in case some of you might be here and wondering who the heck we are and what right do we have to be sitting up here, um, this is Paul Kasher. He's a, we're both rewired pastors. Um, Paul used to uh, pastor was Grace Bible Church in Lytle for about 40 years. And <coughs> I've been every kind of pastor at this church. I was an intern one summer in 1977. Then I came back as an associate pastor for 10 years. Then I came back as the senior pastor and finished my career out here back in 2017, December 31st, midnight. Um, so... We, that's our credentials. None of us have ever been, I, Paul's never been defrocked. I have. 
Uh, and I wear that badge proudly. I was defrocked by our former denomination after I helped guide our church into the Evangelical Covenant Order of Presbyterians. So they wanted to put me on trial. I refused to show up. Does that sound familiar? Subpoenas came. And finally, uh, we had to get a, 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 what do you call it? Uh, a, a what? A restrictive order against the presbytery, or else they couldn't come on the campus to try to yank me out. So they just sent a letter instead and said, you're done. I said, hallelujah. And meanwhile, our new denomination, I told them that probably might be coming. They said, the minute comes, call us, and you're immediately reinstated. Uh, so my being without ordination lasted about 15 minutes, I think. So anyway, that's our, our credentials for what they're worth. So why don't we pray and get right into the questions. We have some other folks coming in. Anybody need a blank index card? And for those of you who just came in and you've never been in this class before, we're doing a thing today called Ask the Pastors, where you can uh, write down one or two questions you've always wanted anonymously, and, and we will try to um, answer them. And if we don't get through them all, we'll do a question a week for how long it ever takes to get through them all. So let's, let's pray, and then we will commence. And we had a lot of fun in here last week. I hope you will have equally fun and profundity um that's our goal to put the fun into profundity yes okay let's pray lord god we thank you for this your day the lord's day of course every day is your day and we thank you for the privilege and honor we have of being a part of this great family of faith first presbyterian church i thank you for my brother paul use him and myself today uh to build up the body of christ that's our goal in this uh, and to help us all to grow deeper, not just in our, our knowledge, but in a genuine personal faith relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. So we offer you this time. Guard our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit. Put your arm around us, because Satan would like to come in and just uh, twist things. Uh, Lord, uh, prevent Paul and me from confusing anybody or saying anything that wouldn't be honoring to you and upbuilding of the body of Christ. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name Amen. and for his sake. Amen. <coughs> okay, Paul, why don't you kick what, us off? What we were uh, talking about, Ron and I, was because l last week we only got to two or three questions. Because every question generates follow-up. And we could spend a whole Sunday school time on one question because one question generates another. And that's why when you read in the book of Revelation about a great throng of people gathered around the throne, they're all lined up with their questions, finally going, <laughs> finally going to get them answered. So we can't guarantee that your questions will be answered, but we will take a, a stab at it or try as much as possible to eloquently evade it. We can't guarantee it. they'll be answered in 2022, but I'm sure we'll get them answered at least in 2023. That's right. And, and it may take us that long just to get through this stack that we have here. This stack has doubled just since the beginning of this. Garland, do you have a, a, a phone with a stopwatch? Can you time us for two minutes? Uh, we figured if we just took two minutes when we started, we might have had 15. We might have 20 now. So if, and, and most of these are going to take two minutes. While he's doing that, Garland, just hold up your hand when my two minutes is up. I'm going to take this first one. Ron has his next one. Uh, someone asked about this before, but because we still have a question about this, what is a good way to start to forgive those who perceive, who you perceive have hurt you? This is a big deal. Personal offenses are extremely hard, and when you think about the Lord's Prayer, that's really where our answer is, in that middle of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us as we forgive our debtors. And then, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, the Matthew version, we have a, 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 a PS, a, something that Jesus sticks in there extra, very stout, you would say, very strong, where he says, if you don't forgive others, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive you. Now, we're not going to get into all the soteriological uh, issues about that. Uh, we don't earn our salvation by forgiving. But uh, I was looking over J.I. Packer's book on praying the Lord's Prayer, and he said, we don't earn our salvation, but 
because we have repented, and we take it for granted that if you're a Christian, you have repented or continue to repent. You know, we always have something to repent about. And uh, forgiveness is just a way that we keep enacting our continual uh, repentance in forgiving others. And uh, from J.I. Packer's book, he has a little poem here. You let me know when it's two minutes. I'll, 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 I'll get through this. Listen to this little ditty here from J.I. He didn't say who wrote it. Listen to this. Forgive our sins as we forgive. You taught us, O Lord, to pray. But you alone can grant us grace to live the words we say. How can your pardon reach and bless the unforgiving heart that broods on wrongs and will not let old bitterness depart? In blazing light, your cross reveals the truth we dimly knew. How small the debts we owe, how small the debts men owe to us, how great our debt to you. Lord, cleanse the depths within our souls and bid resentment cease. Then reconcile to God and man. Our lives will spread your peace. That's a good little piece of poetry right there. Okay, number two. Okay. Forgive those. I know it's hard, but this question you is: can do After it. exhausting counseling, a couple still decides on divorce. What disciplinary action should the church take? Should both parties still be allowed to attend this church? Are either of them free to date within the congregation? Wow. Um, you know, we live in a, a divorce-friendly culture right now. Uh, I firmly believe that, except on issues of uh, adultery, that divorce, well, divorce is always sin. Um, even when both couples are supposedly wearing the white hat. Um, and when a couple comes to me, and I try to do my best to talk them out of that, um, what disciplinary action should the church take if a couple gets divorced? Well, disciplinary action in the church is always for the point of restoration, never punishment. So you never want to punish somebody. Um, when I was a pastor in Baltimore, there were some really stringent PCA churches. We got picked up a couple of families or a couple of individuals because they made a, a shameful thing out of them in front of the church. And I thought, that's horrible. Um, when they come to a path, let's just say theoretically, you come to me, you and your spouse, and decide on divorce after I try to talk you out of it. Um, you know, I would continue to meet with you and try to help you understand that you need to repent of this. And I've always been very successful with that. Um, and I don't believe the circle needs to go wider than the senior pastor. If it's an elder or a deacon, I usually would say um, if, if that person's the guilt, guilty party, they are the ones that violated the marriage vow. I'd say you need to pick a couple of elders you know and love who are for you. Well, and um, put yourself under their authority, and we'll walk through this together. Again, the goal to restoration, not punishment. Are either of them free to date within the congregation? I would not encourage that. But um, every situation is different. I'd want to talk to them about that. Again, this would generate much more questions, but thank you for that uh, alarm going off. We need that. Uh, well, we have so many here. We want to service as many questions as we can. And let can. me just say, you know, if I don't, we don't want you going through the week going, I wish I could say to Paul around, call us during the week, email us anytime. Uh, if, we don't want you carrying around stuff. Uh, so feel free to, we'll answer you outside of this class the best we can. Yeah. We'll write our email addresses on the board, so if anybody. All right. From a Christian point of view, please explain, uh, please explain cremation versus burial. A lot of people have asked me this over the years, and uh, we've probably both heard both sides, but the one that I hear the most lately is, what's the difference? Ashes to ashes, whether they're decomposed over a longer amount of time or burned up all at once. But there are people I've met that have a... Uh, 
The only thing you could call it is a check in their spirit. They're just not sure about it. And maybe whoever submitted this question may have this. I'm going to tell you what I discovered. This is just what, what I, how I prayed and came to an answer. I looked at the biblical witness. And if you just step back with an honest, Lord, what does your Bible say? Every time a godly person in the Bible died, they were given a decent burial in a tomb or, or, or you know, just somewhere. Whenever you see a body being burned, it's always a horrendous, horrible thing. It was a person who died in the wrong way. Uh, it, it was a shame. And that, that's just a biblical witness. And, uh, you know, but people, they will short circuit that and say, well, what difference does it make? Dust to dust, ash, ashes to ashes, you know, and cremation is so much cheaper. And uh, uh, I've read several articles on this. And at the end of it, they say, you know, it really doesn't make a difference. It's just your own personal choice. But when I looked at that biblical witness, that uh, the ungodly people who died in ignominy, you know, some, some bad way that they died, their bodies were burned. But the uh, people who, uh, you know, were godly people, they, were, they, they slept with their fathers, so to speak, and they didn't burn their bodies. So that's just a, that's a first look, a casual thing. One follow-up question until the alarm goes off. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. And that's, that's a very popular thing. People, people uh, want to do that all the time. I'm one of those people who has a check in my spirit, but I presided over installing a columbarium at Highland Park Press, and I was here when we did that. I remember playing the devil's advocate with Louis Abendon. Uh, I remember he came back from me and said, well, look what Paul says, if I give my body to be burned but have not love. So. And we're saved by grace. I think we do need to have a respect for the human body. And so I've, catch me on a different day of the week. I want to be buried. And the next day, cremated, buried, cremated. Um, so I don't know what day of the week I'll die on. We'll see what happens. What's the difference... What's the, what's the difference between the Apostles and Nicene Creed? Ah, come next week and find it. Chiefly the uh, phrase, descended to hell. We will deal with that. And what was Jesus doing there for three days? I don't want to steal my thunder. Mm -hmm. So come back on those Sundays and you will find out. That, that's what I would have said if I had that question. Because I, 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 I knew he was going to do that. Now, this is something both of us are going to have to tag team on. And, and every time we start, you're restarting the timer, right? Okay. Did you always know that you wanted to be a minister? Or if not, what triggered your decision? Uh, you want to go first or you want me to? Sure. Uh, I never wanted to be a pastor. I was a pre-veterinary major in college. I was going to go to A&M, be a large animal vet and uh, got uh, missed the cutoff by one-tenth of a grade point, uh, point. They told me to go get a master's and make a 4.0, and they would take me when I was through with that. So uh, meanwhile, the head baseball coach at Trinity said, why don't you, I'll pay your way through graduate school if you will be my assistant <coughs> coach. So I did that. Made my 4.0, but during that time, met a girl from this church who I was on a prodigal journey from Christ. She led me back to Christ, and about a year later, I felt the call to go into the ministry and wound up not going to a m but going to Union Seminary in Richmond, Virginia, and here I am. Right. Uh, after my dramatic conversion experience, I was closely involved with my pastor in the church I was going to and the three pastors that followed them in the four years, my first four years of new life in Christ. And uh, all of the pastors told me, you're probably going to be a pastor. And I didn't receive that. I didn't want to be a pastor because I saw what they went through. And uh, so I thought, well, maybe I'll be an evangelist. I like the idea of coming into a church, hit and run, you know, kind of like a drive-by evangelistic, <laughs> offend people and then just, you know, split and, and, and let the pastor pick up the pieces. I like that. That appealed to me. But, but it started to come to my realization that uh, that wasn't the way to go, and I was terrified 
of the prospect of becoming a minister, getting my papers. I was already working on getting my papers, but I was more terrified not to do it, and that's why I ended up doing it. Someone said, what triggered your decision? I was more terrified not to obey the Lord than to do it. Okay, time's up. A friend of mine asked, if I have a relationship with God and thank him when good things happen, can I curse him when bad things happen? Well, you know, the Bible does give us permission to let God have it. It doesn't say curse him, but read the, read the Psalms. Many of the uh, Psalms of David where David's crying out against God. And a couple examples I can think about. You know, Job's wife told him, hey, look, why don't you just curse God and get this thing over with? And he'll probably zap you and you won't be in pain anymore. So uh, apparently that's not a good thing to do to curse God. I would not advise you to do that. But um, also, 2 Samuel 6, the Israelites are bringing the ark, the recaptured ark, back into the city of Jerusalem. You may remember this, and there's a, a guy named Uzzah who's walking alongside the ark. David's out in front leading the procession. And remember, God said, nobody, nobody touches the ark. Not even the priests. They have to have poles through the rings. Nobody touches the ark. So they're going in, and the ark is on the on a flatbed ox cart, and they hit a rock, and it tilts, and the ark's going to fall off the cart. Uzzah, what a great guy. He puts his hand on to steady the ark, and God zaps him and kills him. Now, the reason I bring this up is you look at David's reaction. David is really ticked off at God. I mean, he lets God have it. So that, to me, gives us permission. We, I don't like everything God does. I don't like everything I read in the Bible. I say, are you kidding me? Is there somebody else up there? Um, so so we, God knows, you know, this idea that, well, I really hate you, but I'm not going to say it because then you'll know. God knows what you're feeling anyway. So, and if you do slip up and curse him, I would advise you to immediately repent mm -hmm. and say, I'm sorry. And uh, I think God will let that slide. Don't curse him. Here's a good one for, do we have any former Catholics here? Anyone who used to be a Catholic? Half. Okay. Half Catholic. Okay, but that's good enough. Uh, you, you may want to speak to this more than me. I, my mother used to be a Catholic, so I grew up in a Baptist kind of sort of church. I never was really Baptist because I never really paid attention, you know, but, but I got the hell part good, and, and, and I was very thankful for that uh, because it scared me, and it kept me from going into a lot of bad things. But the question here is, did Mary ascend into heaven? And, and they want our thoughts. And uh, in, in Protestantism, I don't know when uh, the Protestants uh, actually did away with it. I've never heard it mentioned in all of my Christian experience. That's the assumption. Yes, the, yes, the assumption of Mary, that she was taken up. Catholics still believe this. Uh, in fact, they just celebrated it. There's a big deal on uh, just last Monday, uh, the 15th, they have the big celebration, the annual celebration of Mary ascending into heaven. And uh, I think Lutherans uh, still believe this, uh, maybe some Anglicans, but uh, we in, in Protestantism, I think that the assumption, uh, the assumption of Mary kind of goes along with her steadily being promoted until she becomes a co-redemptress with Jesus. And this is why you know, Catholics feel like they have to bounce their prayers off of Mary to get to his son. And uh, it's... Uh, you know, we're, we're told there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, and, and we don't have to talk to Mother Mary. You know, Jesus was on a cross. You know, he said, behold, you're, you're my mother and your friends. You know, he's kind of given us the universal thing. You have anything you want to add to that? Well, you, have, you have Enoch, who is assumed to have, and I guess a lot, of, a lot of Catholics say, hey, he's not as prominent as Mary, so if he can do that, certainly her. Sure. But it's a relatively new doctrine, like 1850. Something like that. So, um, I reformed Christians like us. We stand firmly on what the Bible clearly teaches. Stand against what it can clearly prohibits, and those iffy things be iffy. Um, but personally, I think Mary probably died like Joseph did. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of problems with Mary. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. When I first started coming to church here, uh, 
I, I don't remember if it was a, a, the pastor's Bible study that they do here on, on Thursday mornings or if it was a Sunday school class, but Judy, hey Judy, I'm talking about you. I heard you answer a question or a response, something that you remembered that Lewis said about oh, me. I'm Judy, should I cut him off so you don't have to answer that? No, 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 I'm, I'm not asking her a question. I'm saying I heard her mention that Lewis had mentioned the worship of Mary, which is known as Mariolatry. And, and I was impressed. I said, well, you know, you know, this Lewis guy must have really made a point because here this woman remembered so many years after what Lewis had taught about Mary. And, you know, we Protestants, it's not that we diss Mary. You know, we're just not going to worship her. You know, we don't have this thing that, you know, we have to. Okay, our time's up. Our time's up, Judy. Did you want to add something to that? Well, there you go. Yeah. Growing up half Catholic, I'd say half of my family did pay too much attention to Mary. The other half, Scots Presbyterian, didn't pay enough attention. I've tried to, again, the Bible elevates Mary. Probably the best woman Thank that ever walked the, good time. the planet, except for my wife. A homeless man told me he had already tried Jesus. He said that Jesus did not rescue him from terrible treatment in prison. He has given up. How should one respond to this? Golly. Whew. I've had similar things from people saying the same thing to me. And, and you know, um, in fact, I've had a homeless man who was coming to church here, and he would come to me and say, how come he doesn't answer my prayers? And, you know, all I was able to tell him is, first of all, I tell him, uh, being a Christian doesn't mean God's a, a, a spiritual genie who you rub the lamp and, and that God does love you, has his hand upon you, and maybe working in ways you and I are not aware of. Um, but he doesn't always give us what we want. And, I mean, I, I'm not looking for my martyr card to be punched. I'm not talking from an ivory tower. I had a daughter who laid in ICU for a week and wherever y'all, many of you were pleading for her life. She died, you know? Uh, another son had cancer, a malignant brain tumor. And then 29 years later had a stroke and we didn't know if he's gonna live through that. He did, um, but God has not always answered my prayers exactly like I wanted. And, and you know, suffering is built into the fabric of this fallen world and Christians aren't exempt from cancer and tragedies and everything else. But Jesus says, I am with you always. Someone asked me one time, where was Jesus when Anna was at the bottom of that pool drowning? I immediately said he was there with her. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's true. Okay. Can a Christian serve on a death penalty jury? Yes. It's not on mine. <laughs> well, uh, civil law and the punishment of crimes, I think the reason why some people have a reaction to this is because we don't want to cross over to that realm of judging someone. And we're not condemning them to hell. We are issuing, or we're on a jury issuing a part of a, of a sentence which uh, is made for civil order, civil law and order. And if you look in the, the Old Testament, and you know, people say, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, God is not schizophrenic. He, he didn't just believe some way in the Old Testament, and now he's completely changed. If there's anything that's changed, we're more responsible now because he's done so much more for us. But yeah, can a Christian serve on a death penalty? It would probably be good if, if we did. And we're not judging them. Matter of fact, it's a great opportunity to witness to that person. We had this question last week, and I, I want to jump in and say we had Chuck Colson, founder of Prison Fellowship, come here twice to this church. Chuck, he's gone to be with the Lord now, but he didn't believe in the death penalty. And his rationality was if we kill the guy and he hasn't come to Christ, he never will. I'd like to keep him alive in prison and get my guys in there, try to win him to Christ. Let me say this. If you're a Christian and you don't believe in the death penalty, then you tell the lawyers that. And you believe me, you're off the jury right there. I was on a, I was on a drunken driver uh, jury once, in, or I was in the 
pool. They wanted five jurors, and there was 13 of us there, and I was number 12. And I said to the bailiff when I walked in, any chance I'm going to be chosen? Nah. So the, the attorneys get up, and the first attorney looks at the first person and says, do you have any problem with my client here? Is a guy sitting right there. He killed somebody drunk, or ran into somebody drunk driving. Or something. That person said, well, I'm an alcoholic, and uh, well, you're dismissed. And the next guy said, I drink and drive all the time. And I began to realize they're saying this to get off the jury. And one guy said, in fact, I'm going to drink on the way home from here in the car. I'm going. Uh, and they, they got the fifth jury. The, I was number 12 out of 13. Number 11 was the fifth jury. I'm sitting there like, you know, I can't lie and tell them I'm a drunk. But I was tempted. <laughs> so, okay. Garland, maybe you should be sitting right here so we can see when it, when it goes. Or, you know, get one of them things they use at football stadiums, those, those air horns. Yeah. Woody Allen said, how does it feel to be tried by a jury of your peers who are too stupid to get out of jury duty? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good one. Uh, Jesus said, and surely I am with you always until the very end, uh, until, you, uh, until the very end of the age. Uh, what, what, what is, what, do, when is the end of the age? It's when everything's over. Uh, uh, Whatever, whatever your eschatological beliefs are, Jesus will be there with you till the end. There are people that are premillennial, postmillennial, pre-trib. Jesus will be with us through the end of the age, whatever age we have to make it to the end of. And that's not an evasion of the question. It's just a, a, a belief. Uh, I knew a guy once who said, well, you know, I, I believe the Lord will be with me always, but not when I'm in a plane. And I said, well, why is that? He said, well, Jesus said, hello, I am with you always. <laughs> so that, <laughs> I don't think that's good exegesis, but, uh, <laughs> but yes, he will be with you low, high, until the end of the age. That's, that's for sure. And what you just said about, I, one of the problems, we didn't separate the questions that were answered, so the ones that were answered, we're putting in the pocket here. So we won't duplicate it again. So, here you go. This is a good one for you. What benefits do you see from studying books of the Apocrypha? I've never studied any of the books of the Apocrypha, so I can't tell you. Um, the Apocrypha are those, in the Roman Catholic Bible, it includes the Apocrypha, which are some intertestamental books. They're Hebrew books. That's where the idea of purgatory comes from and a bunch of other things. Um, what the Reformation did is they went back and said, we're going to, accept the new or the Old Testament canon. The Jews never accepted the Apocrypha as the Word of God. Um, how they got in to the Roman Catholic Bible, I'm not really sure. But the Reformers said, we're just going to accept the Old Testament canon and the New Testament canon, those books that were approved by the councils of the uh, early church. Um, so I've never studied the Apocrypha. That's a, a rare question because most people won't even study the Bible that we have. And, you know, for those who want to branch off into this apocryphal stuff, it's, you know, you, know, you may be very curious and, and good for you, but familiarize yourself which, with those scriptures, which we know to be genuine and have been approved over church history. Yes, sir. I would agree with that totally. But that's the only reference you know to the Apocrypha in the... Yeah, I, I yeah. that's true. Okay. All right. And the only, only apostle that the Beatles wrote a song about was Jude, so I don't know what that... Yes, well, that's... Okay. Here, here's one that we'll all be interested in. Do you think we'll see our pets in heaven? I sure hope so, too. I think so. You know, the Bible says God is love. And those little critters that the Lord gives us, that we love them and we 
process the love from them is, uh, you know, uh, Randy Alcorn is a, an author, a professor up at Multnomah in Portland, and he wrote a big, thick book on heaven. And I, I don't know where he got this from, but he said not only does he think there will be pets, our pets, and other animals in heaven, but he said there's a good chance that they'll be able to talk. Narnia. I mean, uh, I'll tell you, I don't know about Narnia, but you, whatever it is, no one's going to complain about heaven under any circumstances when uh, and if we get there. So, yeah, I think the chances, I think the chances are very, very good. Sticking just with scripture, there will be animals in heaven, guaranteed. How do I know? The lion will lay down with the lamb. You, you, can, you, you can easily build a case from Revelation that heaven is not some ethereal spiritual existence. It's a recreation of the good earth. We will not be spooks floating around. We'll have resurrection physical bodies just like Jesus. And there'll be animals, trees, minus sin, disease, death, and pain, all that stuff. So there will be animals. And I think, well, why not Bo, my 16-year-old lad that died a few years ago? Yeah. But there, if there's a suggestion box in heaven, it will be eternally empty. Yes. For sure. Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for this is the, this is the kingdom of heaven. What is meant by poor in spirit versus rich in spirit? Well, if you think you're rich in spirit you're probably poor in spirit. You probably don't. You're overvaluing yourself. To be poor in spirit, I believe, means you realize that when it comes to spiritual riches, depth of your faith, that you, are, you and me are totally poverty-stricken, that we need Christ far more than we think. Mother Teresa once said, you'll never know um, how much you need Jesus until Jesus is all you have. Amen. And at the same time, the Bible says we are to be rich in spirit. I mean, that, I believe that means we're to pursue the Holy Spirit and devour Scripture, be a man or woman of prayer, passionately trying to obey what Jesus says we're to do. Um, but, you know, I think of Matthew 25 when Jesus says to those who were... Um, rich in spirit, he says, you know, you're in because you fed the poor and visited the prisoners, and, blah, blah, blah. and they said, when did we do that? And the others are saying, pulled out their laundry list, you know, and said, yeah, I did all these things. How come I'm not in? Well, you know, it's, being a faithful follower of Jesus, kind of like learning to dance. When you're a really good dancer, you're not thinking about it, you're just doing it. And so, but... It, <coughs> Now, I fall in the latter category. I plan when I get to heaven, I want to go, look at everything I did, Lord. I was a rev first bread. And um, none of that means a hill of beans. So I'm poor in spirit. I'm first in line on that. Okay. All right. Right on time. How can anyone who believes in abortion is or claim to be a Christian? One of the big problems that we have in our culture today is people, uh, denominations have dissed and disregarded the inspiration of Scripture. That's the big watershed issue. Once the Bible is up for grabs as to what we can believe and what we can't believe, then any, any weird baloney is going to follow that. Uh, God is for the defenseless and uh, for the innocent and... Uh, a person who claims to be a Christian and still is for abortion, you know, we would have to take it on a case-by-case -case basis and talk to these people and you know, find out where their head's at. Are these people actually regenerate? Have they been born again? Do they have a heart? Have they ever heard the story of John the Baptist being filled with the Holy Ghost in his mother's womb? And another thing, if it were a woman who was asking this or a woman who wants to uh, contend for abortion, if this woman already had a baby and gave birth, I don't understand. You know, men, we're dense. Men are uh, just dense and, and uh, unreceptive. We miss a lot of things that women pick up. I don't know how a woman who's so in touch with, with the reality of a living baby being in their womb could uh, say, yeah, it's okay just to eliminate it. I have a retired doctor friend I visit with quickly. And we were talking about this, 
And, and, and he made a, a very graphic illustration. He said, you know what? You know, we, we're sitting in a restaurant having breakfast. He said, abortion is just like if someone came in this room right now and started cutting people up with a chainsaw. How graphically horrendous that is. But he said, that's exactly what goes on in the womb. They dismember that thing, that, that precious baby who's got fingerprints after nine uh, weeks, eyeballs, spinal column, a brain, all these things that are forming. And uh, there's so much in the scripture about God knowing us when we were formed in the womb that uh, to do that would be uh, totally disrespectful and horrendous. The end. Yes? And, you know, we are a pro-life church. We are a part of a pro-life denomination. One of our essential tenets in ECO is that every human being, no matter what state of being, brain capacity, physical, mental, emotional, um, is made in the image of God. That's the bottom line. Therefore, deserving of uh, love and care and protection from womb to tomb. That's one of our essential tenets, ECO. So... Just wanted to make sure you understand that. And with compassion, you know, we don't, we don't just say, that's it. And, you know, we need to take every case. And the church needs to step up the plate and be compassionate. That's what we try to do here. We're, I think, the only church in America with a, a sonogram. Mm -hmm. and, um, and we try to walk with people. Young Lives is a ministry to women who've had babies and don't have a spouse. And we try to help them get jobs and, and, you know, oh, the baby's born, we're done. No, we try to help them throughout uh, their life. My nephew is married to a man, tells me he and his partner are saved Christians. Is this possible? <laughs> it's kind of a similar uh, thing. Um, you know, when our previous denomination debated uh, same-sex marriage, that was the only presbytery meeting I was at. It was a meeting I was received I got up and said, you know, this isn't really a question of sexuality. It's a question of um, what God you worship. And people are looking at me like, I said, well, if you go back to Genesis 1, uh, it's pretty clear that uh, God said, my image is best represented in a male-female relationship. In fact, the only Old Testament text, I believe I'm right on this, that Paul and Jesus quotes is a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two become one flesh. I said, if we change this and say, well, no, male, male reflects God's image, or female, female, we don't have the liberty to, you know, that's, we are creating a different God, and that would be the worst sin, which is idolatry. I know homosexual and lesbian men and women who are married to same, and they claim that they are believers in Christ. I don't know anybody's heart except my own. Um, some of my friends, I pray for them that God would regenerate their hearts. <clears throat> so I'm making a judgment that I don't really think they get it. They're worshiping a different God. Um, and I don't want them to. I, I want them free. And I have friends who have been freed. When your, your friends say, well, nobody can change. Again, I don't know anybody's heart, but I have friends who said I have that desire no more, and I've just gotten married to a woman and had kids. And it's a, Again, the church needs to be compassionate, just, oh, everyone's welcome here, but if you're in this kind of thing, you can't be an officer in the church. And But we want you here. I don't want you some church saying you're okay. Um, God is not the author of confusion. And that's a very confusing segment of our culture. We live society. in a culture of darkness and death, yes. particularly in areas of, of abortion, homosexuality, gender dysphoria. I mean, look at this. It's, it's, it's dark. Dark. 
Well, the way things are going, we're not going to get through the rest of these questions because time is going on, and even though we're being adequately timed, but we're going to keep on going until we run out of time. To those who do not have the mental capability to make a commitment to believe in Jesus, go to heaven. The Lord knows. A great thing about the Reformed faith, we don't know, but we know the Lord knows. And we would witness to these people lovingly. And, uh, you know, when Jesus said, except you become as a child, well, some of these people are, are mentally always like a child. And I think that uh, they're, they're more likely to be receptive rather than to come up with these cockamamie, liberal, dingbat smoke screens that they throw up to, uh, you know, to, to, to try to throw a wet blanket over the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and some of these people highly educated, but in their highly, you know, it, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. I think a person who's a, a young and mentally challenged, their chances are probably just as good, if not bad. And the Lord knows. And we can trust the Lord with his decision. You know, we, we think you've got to pray the prayer and accept Christ to be a Christian. Normally, you do. I was the chaplain for Mission Road for a number of years. Some of you may know we have a Mission Road Developmental Center. Some of those kids out there are uh, brain dead's not right, but they, I mean, they, they can't speak. They also, and, but they are full of love. And the beauty of the Reformed faith is none of us are going to be in heaven unless God chose you before the foundation of the world. Who's to say if, if a brain-dead person was chosen by God before the foundation of the world, what appears to be a barrier to you and me? I can't lead that person to cry. I can't get them to pray the prayer. They can't read the four spiritual law tract I stuck in front of. That is no obstacle to the Holy Spirit. Yes, that is right. The Holy Spirit can be doing things. I know he was doing things in the lives of kids out at Mission Road. And sometimes I'd leave there wondering if I was a Christian compared to them. Okay. Uh, bones from a 30 million year old creature were. Oh, okay. All right. Good. All right. Let's bury the dinosaur. Okay. My younger sister, my only sibling, was stillborn. I've always hoped that I would meet her and two children I miscarried in heaven. Is that biblical? Yes. Yes. I don't think there's any doubt about it. We're just talking about abortion. That's a living soul that God created, and if they're stillborn. Again, we can trust the Lord. You know, the things that we get uptight about and, and nervous about and concerned about, God has no problem with. God has no problem with our problem. However horrendous your problem may be, God has no problem with it. And uh, you realize that Jesus said, fear not more than anything else. Fear not. I, I think in, throughout the scriptures, there's 366 fear nots. That's one for every day of the year, including leap year. <laughs> Fear not. We, 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 we always have uh, uh, trust in the Lord, and uh, we can trust him. That's, that's for sure. How does God punish us? There you go, Reverend. <laughs> How does God punish us? We talk a lot about having a personal relationship with Jesus and that we are individually important to him, yet in the Bible there are a number of times people are punished by God as a group, not as individuals. Does God punish a person by hurting someone they love? That's what he did to David. Yeah, you know, um, if you read Scripture from cover to cover and take it seriously, I try to do that. Uh, God is giving us his self-revelation in Scripture. Um, what you wind up with is a God that, um, that we don't like, that we cannot control, a God that will not be defanged or declawed. Um, we wind up with a God who's very angular, and yet, at the same time, loves us unconditionally. Well, how much does he love it? That he's willing to go to the cross in Christ and to hell and take whatever punishment hell is for you and me upon himself. So, um, you know, sometimes there are Christians in the World Trade Center, I'm sure, that died that day, and there were non-Christians. And there are probably some people in the World Trade Center 
that you probably said, well, they got what was coming to them. Um, in Hiroshima, there were Japanese Christians who were vaporized. Again, I, I just have to fall back and say, I have to look at that through the lens of the cross. This is not some aloof God who, and this, these things don't catch him by surprise. Um, World Trade Center was a shock to us. God knew it was coming. Why didn't he stop it? Did he have the power to? Yes. Why didn't he? I don't know. Do you have the power, power to prevent my daughter from dying? Yes. He, why didn't he? I don't know. Was I especially bad that week? I don't think it was any worse that week than any other week. So being a Christian doesn't immunize you from this. But Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You do not need to fear God's punishment if you were a believer. Doesn't right. mean you get off scot-free, but no punishment, no condemnation. All right. We can trust the Lord. He's got the answers all the time. Uh, well, we ended up doing better than I thought because some of those questions that were in that big stack we had handled last week. Uh, here's a good one. We, we will sure enough eat up the rest of our time here. Uh, the difference between water baptism and baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is, uh, has been, I'll speak to this first and I'll let you follow up on this. This, this is uh, today, and over the last 140 some odd years has been much more of an issue than it was for the first 1900 years of church history. Uh, up until what we recognize as the modern Pentecostal movement, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was something that took place uh, at or in conjunction with our salvation experience. Because you, you go back and look at church history, it was not uh, a subsequent blessing like modern Pentecostalism. And I, and I know a little bit about modern Pentecostalism. I taught a course on it. So I, I know where they were coming from. And they were a restorationalist movement. And they saw something in the book of Acts and they said, you know what? Nobody's been doing this, but we really feel like this is the will of God. So we, they jumped back over all of church history, went back to the book of Acts and tried to replicate. Now, as far as people having a genuine experience, and, you know, we're really not answering this question. This is between water baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Water baptism is an actual physical act, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told us, you know, John baptizes you with water. There's one coming. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire, having to do with the completion of his, of his priestly ministry and what he does for us. So you may meet Pentecostals, modern Pentecostals, who are going to be very adamant about you having to have another experience. And I'll tell you what, no one will ever go wrong by asking God for more of his spirit. I think that's a good program all the time. Lord, I want more of your Holy Spirit. Lay it on me. Dump it on me. I want to get under the spout where all the glory pours out. You're never going to go wrong by doing that. But as far as having to go through a ritual hoop that has to be jumped through, that's where the thing has become uh, uh, more, more of a routine and a learned behavior and uh, seek the Lord. The more of him, the better. Our time's up. Uh, well, well, those are last questions, so we have more yes. time. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now the follow-up Let me questions. give you my take got, on that. I, I've always been seconds. a little confused by that, to be honest with you. Um, I know what baptism water is. And, uh, and yet Jesus runs into a bunch of Christians, and he asks them, have you been baptized in the Spirit? And they said, we don't, they've been baptized. They said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And it says, Jesus breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. I, I really don't know. Was, is that an um, instance that only happened in New Testament times? And a lot? I don't know. Sometimes I've, I've thought, you know, as a youth minister, I don't, we don't believe as Presbyterians in regenerative baptism, that if you have your kid done, he's done. We believe in covenant theology that when parents who are believers take vows on behalf of their children, that doesn't sign, seal, and deliver them. There'll be kids that were baptized in hell. Um, and confirmation is all about the child stepping forward and saying, I want to confirm 
what my parents did on my behalf when I was a kid. And, you know, nobody says Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So confirmation is when a child or an adult makes a profession of faith in Christ and says, Jesus is Lord and means it, not just because my friends are doing it. I used to make parents so mad here because I didn't want any kid confirming their faith unless they really meant it, not just because their parents wanted to have a party for them and it was the thing to do when they were 13. So I'd say, you know, do not listen to your parents. Uh, don't listen to me. If, you have, if you're not here to accept Christ, I mean, I'd go into detail at what surrender to Christ meant. Every year I'd have two or three kids say, well, I'm not there. I'd go, well, then don't go through it. Then I'd get the phone calls. But I'd rather face their wrath than God's one day. And I said, you know, someday I hope God will get a hold of you. And I'd say that was then when the Holy Spirit really came into their lives. Not that the Holy Spirit wasn't doing anything at that baptism. Mm -hmm. He is. It's bigger than just one individual. But, you know, God's sovereign. And I can't tell God when and where and how. So I just trust, uh, I do tell parents, kids die after they've been baptized, you know, they, they're sealed in Christ and they're, they're with the Lord. Um, and if there's, if, if there's nothing more important than our personal relationship with the Lord, yeah. when, when Peter tells us, and, and this is like a declarative, hey, you, I'm telling you, you make your calling and election sure. So it's not something to be taken lightly, like, ah, oh, well, you know, I, I was raised here. You know, I want to say something, finish up and then Chuck has a question pastorally. We um, I love to ask this question because I like to look at your faces and everybody here. Where is Adolf Hitler? And where will he be for eternity? Most of you probably think you know. Well, of course he's in hell. That's where he's going to spend eternity. It's going to make some of you mad. What if God chose Adolf Hitler before the foundation of the world to be hit? Remember, it's unconditional election, not, well, you know, Paul did some bad things, but he did a lot of good stuff, so I'm going to let him in. Now, unconditional. But wait a minute. Hitler never accepted Christ. In fact, he blew his brains out in a bunker. Let's go back to the Holy Spirit again. Would, would it be possible for the Holy Spirit, as Hitler's pulling the trigger, to regenerate Adolf Hitler's heart? Yeah. We tend to think Hitler's in this boat over here, and I'm more in a white-collar sin boat. <laughs> Guess what? You and me and Paul, we're all in the same boat with Adolf Hitler. There's nobody in this room deserves to be in heaven any more than Adolf Hitler or, you know, name your tyrant. Chuck, you had a Chuck, question? correct me on this. Okay. I see him all over the place. Sometimes, yes. Not every day. I mean, probably being taught of in some Sunday's class or scripture. Yeah. Yeah. I've taught on them myself. I know where Chuck is coming from on this question uh, because... In, in a church like this, we're not going to have a seminar on the gifts of the Spirit, and then we're going to learn. Actually, we do. Sometimes we'll have learn your spiritual gifts. That's great. On. Well, and that's that's good. But uh, you know, uh, there are uh, charismatic movements that have sprung up over the last 40, 50 years in Anglican churches, Methodists. Uh, Episcopal, even uh, Presbyterian, yeah, even Presbyterian churches, and you can't stop the wind from blowing. There are people that have uh, uh, said, "Hey, I, I want this," and, and the more we ask for God's Holy Spirit to be upon us, that's never going to do us any wrong. And and as far as the gifts, you know, all the nine gifts of the Spirit, you know, there's some that hap that that operate without so much fanfare. You know, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, you know, uh, just a, a word of encouragement. There's a lot of gifts. Uh, gifts of healing, that's something you can't fake. And however, the gift of speaking in tongues, out of all the nine gifts, that's the easiest one to falsify. That's the easiest one to come up with a cheap counterfeit of. Not that they all are, 
I think I've seen some that I, I wondered, you know, because I, I knew the people. And, you know, we, we know people by their fruit. So, well, we're out of time. So We should say, where are the fruits? What's that? We should be oh. concentrating on the fruits, not the gifts. I've got the gift of what? What are you doing with it? Uh, let's pray. Lord God, thank you for our time together. Uh, uh, just guard our hearts and souls of anything was said here today that's confusing or upsetting. I pray that you would uh, send your Holy Spirit and pour your oil of the Spirit on all of our hearts. Uh, send us forth from here more on fire for Christ, more convinced that you are sovereign that nothing catches you by surprise, and that you have decided to work in and through our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit to make a difference in this world and those that you bring across our path throughout this week. And help us be sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit and not to be afraid to be who you've called us to be. And we ask it all in Jesus' name and to his glory. Amen. Amen.